0: Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday the 20th of October 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 7 and brings us a message entitled, The Knowledge of God. You'll find our New Testament reading in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is God's word, and we thank God for it. Father, as we turn to your word now, we pray for the gracious help of God the Holy Spirit. Remove from our minds every disturbing and distracting thought. Every thought engineered by the craftiness of the evil one to take our minds away from eternal things. Speak to my heart. Speak through my lips to all our hearts tonight. We pray in Jesus' name for Christ's sake. Amen. You may not know, but it has been recently reported that there are alarming rises of injuries and deaths due to mix-ups of what the report calls sound-alike prescription drugs. One of the leading medical journals reported that there are 60 sets of drugs with similar names. The article goes on to say, and I quote, Confusion caused by drug names that slip by industry safeguards are compounded by physicians who pen illegible or incomplete prescriptions and by sloppy pharmacists. Patients can protect themselves by asking doctors to write the reason the medication is being used on the prescription. Then it's up to you to check the label before leaving the pharmacy counter. Does that scare you? Think of the many times you have failed to check your prescription. How many other everyday aspects of life can, go e- can easily go astray from one simple mistake or oversight? And life can be frightening until you grasp that God is not like your well-intentioned pharmacist. With God, there are never any mix-ups. Our God is never confused. That is because he is the omniscient God. He knows all things. The prophet Isaiah alludes to this in the 40th chapter of his prophecy where we read these words, Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Or who has instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? And the obvious answer to the questions that the prophets raise is simply this, no one, no one, because God's knowledge is infinite and perfect, and because God's knowledge is infinite and perfect, he never needs to learn anything. His knowledge is vast, far beyond ours. And that's why when you pray, you're not telling God anything he doesn't already know. Prayer helps you and I to line up our desire with the will of God and please him because it's an act of obedience to his word. But prayer does not supply God with additional information. I would recommend the writings of A.W. Tozer every day. And in his book, The Knowledge of God, he writes like this. That God knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time, in the past, or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. End of quote. God knows. God knows all causes. God knows all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desires. Every uttered and unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth. God knows. And because God knows all things perfectly, He knows nothing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. In other words, he doesn't know me better than he knows you. He doesn't know you better than he knows anyone else. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised. He's never amazed. He never wonders about anything. Nor does he seek information or ask questions because of a lack of knowledge. God is self-existent. God is self-contained. And knows what no other creature can ever know, namely Himself perfectly. Only the infinite can know the finite. And so, as we pursue our knowledge of God in our evening service, tonight we want to think about God's knowledge. We want to think, first of all, about the extent of God's knowledge. You see, the extent of God's knowledge brings certain facts to light. And the first fact that it brings to light is this, that there is no hiding place. There is no hiding place. God knows every detail of our lives. There is nothing that escapes his attention. The very hairs of our head are all numbered. He finds that easier counted with some of us than others. But it's not necessary for him to count the hairs of your head because he already knows how many... There are, and even a little sparrow does not escape his notice. Nothing can obscure what our all-seeing God knows. David writes like this. We read these words tonight in verse 12 of Psalm 139. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. In other words, the darkness of night is neither a canopy that obscures God's vision nor a cloak for a person to hide his or her sin. The natural tendency of humanity is to love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But whenever we try to hide our sin, the brilliant light of God's omniscience exposes our sin. But the most amazing and outstanding thing about God's knowledge is simply this. Whilst he knows every detail about our lives, he still loves us. We should never say to our children, if you do that, God will not love you. That is not what the Bible teaches In the Old Testament, he knew everything about Israel's sin, yet he responded with these words of love and mercy in the prophecy of Isaiah. I will make you my wife, says one translation, forever. I will show you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And you will finally know me as the Lord. In the same way God demonstrates his love for you and me, Paul defines that in Romans 5 and verse 8. Why we were still sinners. Why we were in the very act of sinning. Why we identified ourselves with that Christless mob when they said, Away with him, crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He knew all about our sin. Yet he willingly gave his son to die for us on the cross. Our Lord Jesus, God in human flesh, we're told in Revelation 2 and 23, searches the minds and hearts of those who profess his name. Not one of our thoughts Is outside his knowledge. If you know your Bible well enough, you know that John 3 and verse 16 reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that, Wonderful verse is seen within the context of our Lord's encounter with Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews the same who came to Jesus by night and said unto him Rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him and Jesus stops him there and then on the steps and he says Nicodemus you must be born again wow you can almost imagine the people listening had they been there and one said to the other, does he know who he's talking to? This is a ruler of the Jews. This is a religious man. This is a respectable man. And this is a man who's highly esteemed among his fellow men. But in order to appreciate the conversation that took place in John chapter 3, you need to get the scene right and you're helped In the closing verses of John 2, where John tells us that Jesus knew all men and he did not need any man's testimony concerning man, for he knew what was in man. No one need to come to uh, Jesus and say, now, you're going to get some individual coming to you late at night. And he's a very religious man. He's a very respectable man. In many sense, he could be defined as A God-fearing man. No one needed to tell Jesus that. Jesus knew. And he knew him well enough to be able to say to Nicodemus something that no other man in Israel would have said. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need spiritual birth. If you're ever to come into the family of God and receive the sonship that God imparts to all who believe, you need to receive Forgiveness, you need to be born of the Spirit. David emphasizes this again in the Psalm that we read tonight. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. There's no hiding place. He knows. And Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says this Timothy, the Lord knows them that are his. He knows. There's no hiding place. Secondly, As we think of the extent of his knowledge, there's no hypocrisy. God sees through every false front. And Christ unmasked the hypocritical Jewish religious leaders of his day by saying that they were like whitewashed tombs or whitewashed sepulchres. What did that mean? Well, tombs were whitewashed to keep a traveler on his way to Jerusalem. He would have been on his way to Jerusalem for a religious festival, from inadvertently touching a tomb and becoming defiled as a result. And when a person became defiled, he had to go through ceremonial cleansing and he would be excluded from participating in certain religious activities. Although travelers coming into Jerusalem would see clean, white tombs dazzling in the sun, that didn't change what the tombs really were. They were graves of dead people. And these religious leaders were like those whitewashed tombs because they had a religious outward appearance, but inside they were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They were guilty of deception, and they contaminated everyone with their teaching. And Christ knows every heart. And nothing will deceive him, not even an outward display of religion that receives the applaud of men, but not the approval of God. Sometimes uh, people think that the sins of the ungodly go unnoticed. Especially if they appear to be prosperous and succeeding in the things of the world. But David had the right perspective in Psalm 37. Listen to what he says. He says, be still before the Lord. And he says, wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways When they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath, do not fret, it only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. In other words, the prosperity of the ungodly will not last forever. There will come a day when the sin that is now hidden will be unmasked and punished. Deep inside the ungodly hope that God will judge them by something other than truth. They may try to hide behind their national identity, their church affiliation, their baptism, their good works, their self-effort, and all the rest of it. They try to hide behind this phrase. that sounds very slick. We don't do God. How many people say that to you? We're not into those things. Little do they realize that and they are ready in because they are sinners and they are rejecting the only Savior, Jesus Christ. There are others who give the appearance of godliness, but their hearts are like whitewashed tombs. Christ warned us here is that many will profess to follow him without really knowing him. They will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? And his response will be, Depart from me. I knew you not. And so the Bible teaches us that the lost, whether religious or not, need to turn from their sin and trust the in God as their Savior. No one should think that they can play games with an all knowing God, for this God will bring every deed, every act into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is it good or evil. God knows all the facts. His judgment will be just and accurate according to the truth. His perception is never distorted. If you follow the world of sport, you know that there 's a great deal of controversy about V-A-R, many of you don't know what that is, well ask your husband at home and he'll tell you. It's a technical device to devise whether or not the referee's decision was the right decision or not. God doesn't need a -A V-A-R. As for God, his way is perfect. And he says through the prophet Jeremiah, I the Lord search the heart. I examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. We are often deceived about sin, but God isn't. He knows whose sin remains unconfessed. He knows those who have put up an external facade. His judgment is never misled by mere outward show, but always truthful. Samuel says he does not see as man sees. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks in the outward appearance. But God looks in the heart. And that's why the prophet of old asked this question. Is your heart right with God? The extent of God's knowledge. No hiding. No hypocrisy. Notice secondly tonight. The effect of God's knowledge. What effect should God's knowledge have on the trusting soul? Well, the first thing I want to say tonight is this, it will bring contentment. Here's an old hymn that we used to sing at our youth meeting in Shankill. God holds the key of all unknown, and I am glad. If other hands should hold the key, or if he left it up to me, I might be sad. You see, God's knowledge is reflected in his wisdom. He is the only one who knows the beginning, the end, and every step in between. His knowledge results in perfect wisdom. He is the only wise God. Man's ignorance is reflected in his foolishness. Unredeemed man views the wisdom of God as foolishness. Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1? He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are saved, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate." Where is the wise man? asked Paul. Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Then Paul says this, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You see, the problem with human wisdom is that human wisdom alone cannot deduce spiritual answers. Human wisdom is defective because human sinfulness has tainted it and because it is unable to perceive the things of God apart from divine revelation. The only reason why you and I are saved tonight is because God has revealed it to us. I sing with deep conviction when I sing the words, I know not how the Spirit moves. Convincing men of sin. Revealing Jesus through his word. Creating faith within. But I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Salvation is a work of God by the Holy Spirit. God has to open the eyes if I am to see. He has to unstop the ears if I am to hear. He has to open the heart that I might receive. In Acts chapter 16, he meets a businesswoman, Paul, in his European in- in- encounter. She's called Lydia. And the Bible tells us, Luke is the writer, and he sees all that's going on. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, The Lord opened the heart of Lydia, and she attended unto the things that Paul had spoken to her. Note the order. The heart was open, and the evidence of the heart being open was she attended. She attended. She gave heed. She obeyed the things spoken unto her by Paul. And God and God alone can truly diagnose our true spiritual condition and need. For it's the Lord who searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. On Chronicles 29. God knows everything we do and why we do it. And since he knows everything about the human heart and is able to diagnose its sinful condition, the solution to that condition is bound up in God's wisdom. Before the world began, his wisdom devised a plan of redemption so that unworthy sinners might enjoy eternal glory. Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as a mystery, the hidden wisdom which predestined Before the ages, our salvation for the glory of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. And only those who trust in Christ as Savior and Lord possess this wisdom from God. And this wisdom, God's wisdom, is the outcome of his knowledge and that makes the trusting heart content. God holds the key of all unknown. And I am glad. Don't be worrying about Brexit. Don't be worried about Boris tonight. Don't be worried about anything because I'm going to tell you something. There's not many that worry about you or me. Don't worry about them tonight. Trust in God. The softest pillow to put your head on tonight is the pillow of God's sovereignty. God knows. There's a contentment That's the effect of God's knowledge. But there's not only a contentment, there is a confidence. As a child, the awareness of God seeing and knowing everything was anything but confidence-inspiring. But as one grows in the knowledge of God and his salvation, this truth can be a real blessing to the believing soul. In John 21, the Lord Jesus has taken a little walk with Peter. And the Lord not only knew what was in Peter's heart that day, but also how Peter was going to die. His life and his death was under the control of his Lord, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. And from what we see of Peter in the rest of the New Testament, that... The prospect of persecution and death did not deter him or cause him to waver. We see his courage and confidence throughout the Acts of the Apostles. And after being released from prison, in order not to preach, Peter boldly stated this great truth We must obey God rather than men. Acts five twenty nine. Now where did he get such confidence? Well, the Holy Spirit had certainly imparted him, but undoubtedly there was another underlying reason. He was convinced that God knew what was best for his life. And he was willing to place his trust in the God whose wisdom is perfect and whose knowledge is infinite. What about you tonight? Is this how you know God? Are you willing to trust him unreservedly with your life? You see, the effect of God's knowledge is not only contentment, it is also confidence. But not only contentment, not only confidence. As we close tonight, it brings comfort. Comfort. Comfort for every situation. Have you ever wondered whether God has forgotten you? Sometimes Satan whispers in our ear when we're going through the bill. where's God now? Sometimes when we pray for loved ones, it seems that they're further away from God. And we wonder sometimes, is it worth it? That's Satan. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me off the guilt within, upward I look and find him there who made an end to all my sin. This is how a small group of godly people in the days of Malachi felt. They lived in the midst of a corrupt and wicked society, and they became fearful. And their question could be summed up as follows. When God judges the wicked, will he forget that we belong to him and judge us along with them? In Malachi chapter 3, we read these words. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in the presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possessions. I will spur them just as in compassion a man spurs his son who serves him. Did you ever sing the wee hymn? It was my granny's favorite and I detested it because she made me stand up in a puffy and sing it to her. Many Sunday. God help her. When he cometh, when he cometh, to make up his jewels. All his jewels, precious jewels. When he cometh, when he cometh to make up his own. That's where it comes from. It comes from Malachi chapter three. And if you're a child of God tonight, you're a jewel. You're a jewel one day the Lord is coming to gather his jewels in. God knew about their devotion to him. He even recorded it in a book, not because he forgets, but because he wanted to provide comfort an assurance for those precious believers. God knows all who belong to him, for he puts their names in the book of life and they've been there before the foundation of the word. And like the believers in Malachi's day, David too found comfort in the truth that God knows all things. He was aware that God was intimately acquainted with all his ways. And here's what he says in Psalm 56. He says, You have taken into account my wanderings. You've put my tears in your bottle. You've recorded my lament. Listed my tears on your scroll. They are in your record. Every tear that stains your cheek. Every tear that wets the pillow on which you lie. God knows all about it. There's contentment in his knowledge. There's confidence in his knowledge. There's comfort This great statement of David reminds us that God catches our tears. It indicates that he knows when we shed them, for his knowledge is intimate. He knows every trial, sees every tear, and hears every sigh. And this great truth and these great realities comforted a minister who lived during one of the stormiest periods of English history His name was Richard Baxter. He wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. It was him who brought about the phrase that he was a dying man preaching to dying men and women. He was an advisor to the Lord Protector Oliver Cromwell during the English Civil War in the 17th century. Because of his Puritan beliefs, he was persecuted and later imprisoned and forbidden to preach. At 70 years of age and suffering from tuberculosis, he was sentenced to 18 months in prison. And although Baxter's circumstances were bleak, his feelings reflected his unfailing faith in his all-knowing God and Savior. And he wrote these words. Lord, it belongs not to my care, whether I die or live. To love and serve thee is my share, and this thy grace must give. May we know the extent of God's knowledge tonight. No hiding place, only in Christ. No hypocrisy. May we know the effect of God's knowledge. Bringing contentment. Bringing confidence. and Bringing comfort. We thank God for his word. And we pray that he'll write it on all our hearts for his name's sake.